0: episode of the Get Fast podcast is brought to you by Bello Coaching, where we help cyclists and triathletes like you train smarter to race faster. You are joined, as always, by your hosts, former Australian Ironman champion, Jared Donnelly, and I am Jordan Donnelly. And in this week's episode, we have a special guest on. We have... Our founder and creator of the Run Smarter podcast, physiotherapist and runner himself, Brody Sharp. Brody Sharp is a physio who is passionate about running, preventing running injury, and getting rid of the myths and misconceptions that surround running injury and performance. Brody started his own podcast, the Run Smarter podcast, which we obviously love the name. And he started this podcast with a goal and a mission to help runners around the globe. Uh, get evidence-based approaches to preventing and managing injuries, and getting rid of a lot of the myths and min- misconceptions around running injury and performance. It was a great chat to Brody. Really dived in. We really dived into the biggest misconceptions that he sees and what to do about them. Uh, the top tips to preventing injury and managing performance. Uh, we dived into some more obscure ways to prevent injury as well, including research around personality traits and how mindset and your beliefs around injury can actually impact your physical uh, rate of injury, which was super surprising. And uh, it was a really in-depth chat with Brody, which we really enjoyed. So we know you're gonna enjoy this one. We cover a lot of topics around running injury and for uh, a lot of triathletes out there, staying injury free is really important. So if you want to stay injury free and get to the start line, with your body in the best shape possible, then it's going to be really important to listen to this episode. So without further ado, here is the chat with Brody Sharp from the Run Smarter Podcast. So Brody, welcome to the podcast. I wanted to start off straight away by asking you about your mission and your purpose because your goal is to spread more evidence-based training to runners and help runners run smarter. So tell us a little bit more about your background as a runner and as a physio and how did you end up here?
1: yeah Jared Jordan, thanks for having me on guys. Um, my background, so I am a physiotherapist by trade. Um, i it was probably about two years into my physio career that I became a runner, a recreational runner, absolutely loved it, and recognized something within myself like when I became the runner, as soon as I saw a runner in my clinic and I was treating them, I had this like heightened passion for wanting to get them back on track and during the sessions, I was like, talk about what races they have, what shoes they wear, what cadence they run at and all this sort of thing. And I was just walking away from every uh, consult, just buzzing and uh, yeah, recognize I need to spend more time spending like more time around this population and trying to get them back because it brought out my better self as well and brought out a higher quality of physio that I wanted to strive towards. And yeah, so that uh, stringed along a couple of things, one being the podcast. And one being like starting Facebook groups and things like that. And just spending more time around runners recognize that there's a lot of misconceptions out there around injury prevention or once they are injured, what to do about it and was constantly repeating a few misconceptions and trying to um, debunk, decipher a lot of these uh, misconceptions that people do have and found that the podcast and the blogs and that sort of thing was a, a good medium just to bust a lot of these myths And so it just became a mission to provide clarity and control to all those runners, especially those injured runners who are really unsure, puzzled about what to do because they get a lot of conflicting information. They get one person that says one thing and then another person that says a totally different thing that totally contradicts one another and then you just left puzzled, not sure what to do. And sometimes trying everything isn't the best solution either. So. Um, that's my mission to try and help people to try and really provide a lot of clarity and get them on the right foot. Awesome. That's a great
0: start. I wanted to touch on that uh, straight away and go into, I mean, I know there are a lot of uh, misconceptions out there, which is what your whole podcast is based about. And we could talk for days on the entire list, but when you look at your experience as a physio, what are the top one or two misconceptions or myths that come to mind or the most common that you see um, straight away from a lot of runners?
1: Yeah. Um <clears throat> The the first one I can talk about is it applies to a lot of injuries, it applies to almost every injury. And that is once someone does start getting symptoms, their natural inclination is just to completely rest that injury and just wait for the body to heal. And then after one week or two weeks, once you're starting to feel better, just jump straight back into it, jump back on the bike or back into a run and just see how things go. And usually they'll find that symptoms are still there. Symptoms do come on, but they're usually a little bit more severe or they come on, say, earlier in their run or in their training cycle. And what was once coming on at 5Ks now comes on at 3Ks and you're like, okay, maybe it hasn't healed. And maybe I just need another five days, another week, another two weeks off just to let the body do its work. And then they go back into their training again a couple of weeks later which is now overall been about three or four weeks and symptoms come on at k1 or like you know 15 minutes and that's what i find a lot of people tend to do without advice of a health professional without a, a coach um because they think like naturally anyone would think you know the body's damaged it just needs time to heal then i'm okay after that but what they're finding is those sensitive those structures are quite sensitive and once you injure a particular area, it actually weakens all those components just slightly. And if you combine that with complete rest, it just further weakens and deconditions all those sensitive areas. And so um, that's a a very, very common pattern that I see for athletes um, in most injuries that I see. So that would be probably the number one thing that I'd, um, bring forth to start with to start the episode would be that like rest isn't always best complete rest isn't always best for most injuries
2: so uh, with that brody would you would you be suggesting that um, the level of the injury would determine the the rest period that you're going to advise does
1: that be that be what you're saying there it would definitely depend on the type of injury it definitely depend on the person itself and where we can go because let's just say if you have a really sensitive um plantar fascia let's just say they've gone for a run and the plantar fascia is really flared up uh they they're usually the ones that want support and want rest and want like anti inflamms or something like that and they want complete rest um if that is really severe i definitely have like a complete rest but just one or two days let things settle down and then we need to see where we can start where we can start loading that structure safely and that would go back to your question depending on the level of severity is where that starting point might be it might just be doing some like really light calf raises it might just be going for a swim and just getting some blood flow around um, the body because that can heal quite nicely as well without even irritating the structure whatsoever Uh, it might be things like doing some heavy calf raises or just loading up the fascia if it can sustain a little bit more load if it's not as irritable um, so yes, you can have complete rest for like a day or two, maybe three, four days max, but then we need to start somewhere and depending where that starting level is, is would depend on the level of severity. Yeah.
0: It makes a lot of sense and uh, one of the other members of the Donnelly family, uh, my brother, is uh, also a physio and he actually sent us an article a few weeks ago saying something similar. He said uh, the, the subject of the article was a written paper and it said, rice is out so those who don't know rice it's rest ice compress elevate it's what you kind of taught generally as soon as you have an injury um it was quite an aggressive headline so you would agree (laughs) with that that headline would you if rice is gone it's just not it should not be uh, commonplace anymore
1: there's a different acronym for injuries now which i absolutely love uh and it is called peace and love which is a very long word very long acronym and the peace side of that is the it's the one to two days that I was talking about, I think protection, elevation, avoid anti-inflammations, compression, and educate, um, just educate on the right steps to do. So they're like immediate kind of things. And that's only if there is an acute injury with inflammation and that sort of stuff, which um, can automatically disclude a lot of injuries that we do see but the love aspect of it is load optimizing or optimism um, vascularization and exercise and that's just promoting all of that what we were just talking about staying active getting the blood flowing making sure that we're loading the structures appropriately making sure you're staying optimistic around your goals and that takes in the mental component side of things as well instead of everything being quite detrimental and um really catastrophizing a lot of your attitudes and a lot of your beliefs and yeah covers a lot so I really love that new acronym.
0: I do want to touch on that um, mental side of things a little bit and we will get more into it uh, later as well but uh, when the reason that a lot of athletes would rest or feel like resting and I know this is my experience as well is when you do an injury you're really hesitant to do more damage and uh, you really don't want to do more damage and go to the physio and say oh yeah I kept running and I um, did more damage and uh, I feel like an idiot now but you know, this conflicting advice is kind of actually you need to get moving faster you might be a little bit apprehensive so how do you combat that mental apprehension around you know, getting the
1: body moving too soon definitely education is a big one and it might just be taking small steps if there is a lot of fear there it doesn't have to be getting straight back into running it can be doing some like low level exercises like the, where we start like any starting point can just be based on the advice of a coach or uh, the advice of a health professional but <clears throat> That, like you said, it's human nature. Like If someone is injured, it's human nature to rest it. And it's human nature to have that kind of fear ingrained because that's what the brain does. The brain wants to protect you. It wants to keep you away from danger. And that's why it, it's so prevalent that I see in my clinics and what I see with runners because um, that's just behavior in a nutshell. But if you provide the right education, just with what we're talking about now, if you uh, sometimes loading in an optimal level, can actually accelerate this healing, actually get you back so much quicker. And if you are really apprehensive about jumping back on the bike or back in the run, let's start slowly. Let's go for a walk for 45 minutes, or let's do a, like a really slow jog on for one minute and then walk for five minutes. And let's just slowly integrate something. And if that's still uh, sparking some fear, let's start doing some lunges. Let's start doing bodyweight lunges. Let's start doing some um, squats or jump squats or something just to. Uh, not only start building up the the tolerance of those tissues, but mentally it starts providing a lot more confidence. Oh, I, I can do that. You know what? I just did three sets of lunges and I'm feeling really good. I'm actually feeling better. I actually feel okay the next day without symptoms flaring up. So that can help that starting process and help confirm that belief that you're delivering the right education. And if there is a flare up, let's just say we've started doing lunges and there is a spark in symptoms, make sure you jump on that education to be like, okay, we're trying to work out your starting point. We're trying to work out what you can tolerate. Right now, we've tried something that's, uh, you can't tolerate that, let's have a rest for a day and let's start with something a little bit more of a low level level of functioning and work our way back up.
2: That's a it's a really great summary, yeah. Uh, one, one of the things that is, from a coaching point of view, is kind of frustrating a lot of the time is, there is always a reason why the injury occurred in the first place. And you talked about education. Um, I think a lot of the mistakes, and I'm, I've been a classic example of this, making the same mistake repeatedly and expecting a different result. Um, with, I've had chronic calf injuries pretty much my whole life. But, but understanding what the problem was with the calf uh, rather than just resting and resuming um, back to you know where you were and you know progressing like you just described from a lower base or a slightly different angle. But if the if the injury, the the reason you got injured in the first place, because there is something actually structurally wrong with with the method of training that you're doing. How important do you think that is in in the education side of the injury, and where where do you place that emphasis uh, on understanding? hang on a minute, I have, I'm just picking calf injuries as an example, or a hamstring, you know, to to rest and and rehabilitate, starting from a lower point, the possibility that it'll reoccur is high unless you do something different than than when you did before you you did the injury.
1: Yeah. If you're noticing that the same injury is happening time and time again, um, and you're not sure why it's happening, or you're not too sure of the training method, and that sort of thing, you really need to ask yourself a few questions. And when it comes to addressing these sort of misconceptions, we need to think, okay, does my belief of why I have this calf injury, is it actually true? Um, Or is it just something that I believe something I've been told or, because a lot of people think it might be say a flexibility issue. And we can touch on that for a whole episode. But um, if someone believes that they're getting calf issues because of their flat feet, because they're, um, too stiff because they're, it's the wrong shoes. They need new shoes, all this sort of thing that they're going to be false beliefs and they're going to not serve you with your rehab moving forward. And if you constantly think that's the issue and you're not addressing the underlying cause, which is, it might be strength. It might be your training load. It might be, you're pushing yourself too much. It might be your, um, your level of intensities throughout the week. It might just be too much. If, that's being ignored because you think the reason of your calf issues is something else, then you're going to continue having these certain, you're going to have these repeat issues popping up. And so it's worth the discussion. It's worth that education side of things of, okay, what do you think, what do you think causes a lot of your injuries? And there was a really nice article um, in, I think it was around 2014 and they interviewed a whole bunch of recreational runners and it was uh, 95 recreational runners and just discussed what do you think? Why do you think runners get injured? And it was just a really nice descriptive article, just, uh, working out people's beliefs and people's, um, attitudes towards why they get injured. And a lot of it was around, um, the foot shape. A lot of it was around flexibility. A lot of it was around just, um, a lot of these misconceptions that science just doesn't show is the case. And, um, yeah, so it'd be, that would be my answer. It's we want to address the right beliefs. We want to make sure we're all on the same wavelength to why you're getting injured, and then we need to move forward with the, the right things rather than just continuing to go on with the belief that you think it's your shoes and um, not addressing the underlying issue.
0: That's a really key point to make, especially with... Uh your own personal perception can be so off. And if you're not educated properly, then you're going to be coming to false conclusions. Uh, I read a random stat, uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I think it was in, in some random article that um, said pretty much, if you look, ask uh, a massive survey of recreational runners, some whopping 80 plus percent are running with some sort of real serious soreness or injury um and whether that's exactly accurate or not um i don't mind the point is the same most runners would agree that they run with some sort of discomfort pretty consistently Uh, so that leads to the next question i wanted to ask is how does someone know and learn when an injury is an injury or when it's just soreness and you've spoken about this in your own podcast i really wanted you to touch on it here you know Good soreness versus bad soreness, injury versus just soreness.
1: Yeah. Let's just say someone's a healthy individual and like once they, if they're in their 60s and 70s, I'd expect some like just generic soreness, like the joints to be a little bit stiff to move around and like just um, emphasize your recovery, emphasize your warmth and that. But for the majority, 95% of the recreational runners out there, we're trying to establish when it comes to soreness, okay, what is um, good soreness, which I would say is DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness. And what is, an injury developing and it's very hard for someone to differentiate between the two, but there are some key characteristics that um, put them into those two different categories. And so you have the good pain, which is delayed onset muscle soreness. This is the the pain that the body goes through to, in order to repair the body, in order to get stronger, in order to increase the level of tolerance for your future um, training. This is, Usually like the the onset is like we call delayed onset. So it usually comes on either the next day or the day after. So between that 24 hours after doing an intense exercise, there should be a pattern of why that has occurred. Usually if someone goes to a gym and they do a new exercise and they're feeling sore in the chest or the arms the next day, it's like, yeah, because I just did chest press. I haven't done that for a long time. That makes sense. If you have really sore hamstrings because you've done a sprint session or you've got really... um, sore glutes because you've just done a hill session and you don't usually do hills and you feel that the next day, that makes sense in your training. Um, The other characteristics apart from it occurring with like 24 hours after the exercise is it's usually within the muscle. It's usually quite vague. It's usually around the muscle belly. It's usually sore to activate that muscle or stretch that muscle or kind of feel a little bit tender. And also it resolves, it usually resolves within two to four days, depending on how intense it is, depending on how new it is. Um, That would be your characteristics within the good soreness, that, that DOM soreness. On the opposite side of things, sometimes pain might come on during the session. Sometimes pain might come on or symptoms come on like as you cool down, that is way too early for it to be DOMS. Therefore, there's a few alarm bells that might be occurring apart from it like with the doms being in the muscle belly sometimes the bad kind of pain can be like a local a localized um symptom towards like the joints or towards a tendon or towards bone or towards ligament and it's you can point with it with one finger or it's like in a general space it's not just like the generic muscle belly and the other thing is like, it just doesn't resolve in two to four days. Most injuries, if going ignored, would go for more than a week. Would we'll go for two weeks, we'll go for three weeks. That's definitely um, signs for alarm. And sometimes some early symptoms can come on and then just resolve just with a day or two rest. That's okay. Just as long as you pay attention to that, you put that as a little marker and make sure you um, it's not popping up every now and then every couple of weeks, because that's when it could Potentially develop into something more serious moving forward. Um, so they're the they're the kind of characteristics that will um, sort of sort of separate them between good pain and bad pain.
2: Dad, did you ask him? Yeah. I was just going to. There's so many points you've covered there, which are fantastic uh, for for our listeners to. And uh, I, I know the majority of uh, triathletes that we coach and runners getting to the start line is is almost you know a feat in itself without actually injuring yourself and and you can derail your whole program with with not paying attention and not understanding the particular nuances of your of your injury and and the difference between the the uh the doms and the real injury is such a hard one for people to understand um i just want to i just want to ask on the doms um which is you know you're obviously the example you gave is going into the gym and doing something you haven't done before which will cause and create some muscle soreness and but that is a good thing because because you you've broken down some of the cells and they're rejuvenating double the size and and that's in it, you know that's really what we want to do in our training we want to we want to progress and improve uh, whether it's the muscle fibers or or our cardio do you recommend that style of training you know would you would you be advising people to to really go and do that sort of stuff for example if you haven't done sit ups for a while and all of a sudden, you know, you're in a PE class at school, and the teacher makes you do, you know, maximum sit-ups, maximum push push-ups. Is that something that you would steer away from, even though you do get a benefit down the track from from the the actual activity? You know, where do you sit looking at that style of, of of uh, from a physio point of view? Um,
1: I guess it would depend on the athlete it depend on their goals that they have in mind it depend on like just getting a scope of their general like <clears throat> looking month over month how often they saw how often they're dealing with like doms um <clears throat> because in most cases if you say if you haven't done weighted lunges for a while you're going to wake up and the around the muscles around the hips are going to be very very sore but if you do that for 2 or 3 weeks that same load is going to be nothing. Like you usually have, might have some light soreness for a day and then you're good to go. Um, if you're, if you notice as a coach or as a health professional that an athlete is preparing for a race and the majority of the time is just negotiating DOMs and they're like constantly sore, uh, I would question their level of intensity. I'd question um, if they're, they're, gym sessions are too intense or they're the actual workout sessions on the bike on the um when they're running you know when they're swimming if that's too intense because that really shouldn't happen um there there really should be a lot of like the the bulk of your training especially when you're building up bases and that sort of stuff it should be around that lower intensity so you can go again the next day and the body can recover and you can work out the next day do something else the next day rather than just feeling like you're waking up and you're kind of like hobbling and you're kind of feeling like really sore, really tired. Um, so I'd question that, but if you're doing something new, you should expect that, that muscle soreness. Like if we use that example of like doing, um, just going ahead and doing a whole bunch of sit-ups and then, um, having like, you know, three, four days of soreness, um, is sit-ups what we want to do if we want to prepare for a triathlon is, is this what we want to do? Probably not. Um, if we wanted to do say really heavy calf raises or plyo jumps and all this sort of stuff does that match our training it's it specific to the training that we want yes okay is it going to create soreness the first time we do it yes is it going to um settle down with the, the muscle soreness if we continue if we persist with it for two or three weeks yes so we want to make sure that that is done earlier in our training like months ahead, months before the actual event itself And then we're building up a really nice base after a couple of weeks, we're feeling quite good. And then we can start when it gets closer to the race, um, topping up that top end and sort of getting into some higher intensities or more specific to race conditions, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, to answer your question um, for a physio, from my perspective, you shouldn't be spending a lot of time being sore in the general week, the general mileage. I hope that does that answer your question? Or did I tail off a bit? No,
2: no, absolutely. And I suppose the two key things is the intensity of, of your training and if, you, if your body has not had the base to cope with it, then that's a recipe for disaster and also the recovery. So the intensity and in the recovery period you're giving yourself, um, the recovery period could really enable the soreness to disappear um, as, as, you know, and examples would be doing a recovery ride on the bike rather than going for a recovery run, um, which would just, you know, Enhanced blood flow, which is, you know, what we're trying to do is repair the, the damaged muscles, whereas running for recovery run can continue to keep the, the, the soreness there, I imagine. And that, that's sort of, you know, those two things, the intensity and the recovery, that, do you see them as the keys to, to enabling you to perform well in training so you get to race day, you know, in the best possible shape?
1: Yeah. And I'll touch on that as well. Like when there's a fine line between DOMS and developing an injury, and that's where you need a coach. That's where you need a health professional because um, you're not just, if you just smash out lunges when you've never done lunges before, but you're also doing plyo lunges or you're doing weighted plyo lunges. That's just a huge spike in training. That's going to lead to an injury anyway, which we don't recommend, but you can, not do squats for a very long time and then only do body weight squats and still be sore the next day. So we're kind of in that safe zone where you're going to experience DOMS, but not really experience an injury. So um, we don't want to advocate doing a massive intensity of something that you haven't done for a long time. Um, when it comes to recovery, recovery is everything. That's where we get stronger. That's where we start recovering that's where we become better athletes. It's when you start emphasizing on your recovery. And if you want to work harder and you want to work on, getting a faster split or getting faster races and, um, really improving and getting those uh, high intensity sessions. You need to emphasize more recovery over than just like your recreational runner. Like I don't focus a lot on the recovery. If I'm not doing high mileage things, I do focus on recovery. It's not a high priority of mine. If I was to prepare for a marathon and really be doing high mileage stuff and some, um, high intensity sessions. That's when my recovery needs to be top-notch. I need to make sure that I'm sleeping well, that I'm eating well and all this sort of stuff, um, which would be the majority of the people you work with anyway. So yes, recovery is massive. Yes, we can do our active recoveries um, going on a bike just for a light session is a lot, uh, or even just a, a swim is better because you're, you're sort of resting a couple of energy systems there rather than going for a slow jog. You, you You'd be surprised to know how much force is required for your feet, calf, knee, how much Mm. force goes through that. Even just when you're walking, even when you're just doing a light jog, you're looking at two to three times your body weight every step. Um, It's just not enough to enhance recovery. So yeah, I I would totally agree with what you're saying. A topic you've
0: touched on there is uh, the strength and conditioning component. We are big advocates to um, also bust that myth that athletes should never do strength and conditioning. And I know that you really... Uh, want athletes to do it as a part of their whole training uh, process but you know dad you touched on before kind of the topic that what's specific for um, the athlete and especially for triathletes uh, most of their training is going to be um, based around endurance and so on race day there's not much intensity for ironman or half ironman you know it's it's sub-threshold kind of efforts and dad you harp on this a lot that it's not a fast day and so they don't actually need to be doing sprinting sessions there's no need for age group of triathletes to be doing track sessions, sprinting um, for their endurance events. They can do faster sessions, but uh, no need for that sprint. Um, But that could also make athletes feel that there's no need for weight training. But uh, I want to hear your thoughts on why weight training or strength and conditioning training is good. And even if they get some DOMS in in that sense, why it's still going to be good and beneficial for them.
1: Yeah. And I'm like my main area is working with runners and most of runners, they think they don't have the time to do strength and conditioning. I don't know what it's like for triathletes, but they're constantly like, they've got so much things they have to work on and so much things to stay on top of that. uh, I just, yeah, that's where you need like a really um, well-designed well-timed plan with a coach just to say, okay, this is when we're doing our run and our ride and our swim and our strength sessions, because it's hard enough for me to convince runners to do their strength and conditioning work, but um, yeah, it's going to be just a, a tougher to try and convince it to triathletes. But uh, we do know this from science. I'll speak from the running point of view, because that's all the literature that I read, but um, doing heavy sort of strength sessions, we really want to start encouraging runners to go away from the body weight style exercises and doing body weight lunges, squats, calf raises to really building on the heavier side of things. It doesn't mean that we need to work on like it will tip off your, your sprint sessions. You won't do that. Like the strength, the heavy stuff does um, complement endurance based sports. It does make your running economy better. It does just really naturally um, work in little like mini surges within a race. It definitely helps with that. But when it comes to endurance, we all care about the running economy. And that's like how how efficient you're working and how efficient you're utilizing your oxygen stores and how efficient the muscle is at utilizing those oxygen stores so that you can run slightly faster, but it feel like the same effort that's like helping with your running economy and strength, strength and conditioning has been proven to help with that. And when you're getting to the heavier side of exercises, so... Um, adding weights onto your lunges, calf raises, squats—that's uh, where the real benefits have shown, and there's mountains of evidence to show that the the heavier side of strength training does help the endurance athlete. That's great to hear, Dad.
2: Did you have a question on that? Um, yeah, and look, you know, I'm I'm a real keen uh, learner and listener to the experts, and there's been lots of controversy on. On you know too much strength and conditioning for endurance athletes um, could be detrimental, um, and more body weight uh, type of strength and conditioning could be more accurate for for an endurance athlete. Why would why would they need to be doing so so much heavy lifting? And um, you know they're the questions that I'm getting asked a lot. You know should I be doing a lot more? Uh, you know, really heavy weights, you know, and, and I'm talking about an Ironman um, where the event could possibly be between nine and 14 hours. Um, where is the benefit um, in doing some some heavy strength leg presses or when you're already doing lots of quad hamstring work on the bike um, and, you know, a good coach will have you doing uh, low cadence strength work on the bike, which is exactly specific to to how it's going to be in a race. Um, yeah, it's just, I just like your opinion on on where you see that you know for endurance. You just touched on it there, but you know, are, are you really? Yeah, what are you saying in terms of you know? I'm talking Ironman
1: 70.3, which is you know five to 15 hour events. Yep. So, uh, like I said, I, I don't know too much around the cycling component of things. Um, I think it, the the benefits that you will receive with a runner can translate onto the bike. I, I'm, I'm assuming. But there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to being heavier in the gym and becoming like a gym goer. People really don't want to do that. They want to stick to low body weight, like really working their aerobic system as much as they can. And that's where they're going to spend the majority of their training. That's what the majority that they're going to do. The recommended um, level for, I think with endurance athletes, the recommended frequency for strength training should be twice a week. Um, to build up your strength. Once you're at a level of strength that you're kind of happy with, you only need to do it once a week to maintain the strength that you've gained. Um, so you're not going to be spending a lot of time in the gym. And a lot of people are fearful, especially if they're uh, less say they're doing an iron man and they know it's a long distance they want to keep their body weight down a lot of the fear is they're going to become this big bulky or even just put on a couple of kilos when they're hitting the gym and they're going to lose their flexibility because they see these kind of big gym people walking around with really um, reduced mobility and that kind of stuff and it's understandable it's a fear that a lot of people have because that's the image that they portray when it, when there's a gym goer there is a thing called the interference effects and Richard Blagrove talks about this in his book. Um, it's called Strength and Conditioning for Endurance Runners, and lists all the benefits when it comes to strength work for endurance runners. And I had him; um, I interviewed him on my podcast, which was a really interesting discussion. And he talks about this: people think they they will put on body weight, and he talks about this interference effect. And if in, within your week, if you're doing some strength sessions uh, where you're lifting really heavy, but you're also combining that with a lot of aerobic training and a lot of um, like run cycles like on, on the other days and mixing that within your week, your body will prioritise the aerobic component rather than the, the building, the, the muscle mass and all that kind of thing. It will prioritise the, the energy efficiency and the aerobic system. So to put it simplistically, you won't put on weight if you're combining strength sessions with running you won't do it. Um, you might put on like half a kilo here and there, you will get more defined. You might put on a little bit of muscle mass, but it's nowhere near as much as you'd think. Um, you might get a little bit of definition, but the body will prioritize a low lean uh, body if you're combining it with the, the aerobic systems. And um, that's comforting for a lot of people to know. And to, to go back to the the um let's say the iron man style of things if someone's doing a whole bunch of hours and hours of aerobic and they don't want to get into the anaerobic side um just let them know that it's going to enhance their their running economy and it's it's just another tool in your tool tool belt because you're also not only are you enhancing the running economy side of things you're also increasing your um capacity for certain ligaments certain tendons certain muscles to tolerate a certain level of um of exercise, when it comes to building up the capacity of your tendons, ligaments, joints, everything like that, you've got like these kind of three buckets that you want to top up in order to be like a well-rounded athlete. And that comes with endurance. It comes with building up the strength and it comes with building up the, the power, the explosiveness. And when it comes to like a triathlete, you kind of want to fill all these buckets. And if you're spending the majority of your time doing endurance runs, like strength sessions. Well, I guess some strength sessions you can do on the bike, but you're really not doing heavy stuff. You're not doing like the plyometric stuff. But if you're spending the majority of your time doing the, the low intensity, longer endurance sort of stuff, you're definitely ticking the endurance bucket. And we're really happy with that. But we're not necessarily addressing. We're addressing kind of half of the strength bucket, but not really a lot of the plyometric power bucket. And what happens is, if we spend like one to two weeks doing the strength training side of things, you're definitely starting to fill up those strength buckets and those plyometric buckets. And that's just allowing the tendons, the ligaments, the joints to start increasing the capacity through all of those um those modes of exercises and that makes you a more resilient athlete makes you more resilient to um, injuries in the future and so you're kind of just ticking all those buckets so apart from having the um the like the running economy side of things you've also got that resilient side of things so i guess that would be my answer
0: that's a good summary. I was about to ask. Um, so, in summary of all that, what is the biggest benefit? Is it the um, injury prevention, or is it the running economy side? But I guess it's a mix of both, and having that capacity from your body.
1: Correct. Yeah. I say the I say the buckets and in the injury prevention in theory. Like it just makes a whole lot of sense based on the research that I've said. There isn't one. Like we can't make the assumption that strength training reduces our risk of injury because the injury itself is so multifactorial, and we get injured from multitude of reasons. And and the way we have to conduct our studies, there isn't uh, literature to support the fact that strength and conditioning will reduce your risk of injuries. There's a mountain of evidence to show that it will increase your performance. It'll increase your endurance performance. It'll increase your marathon times. There's so much along those lines. Um, But, yeah, it's hard for us to make the conclusion that it will uh, reduce your risk of injury based on literature that's out there but it just makes a whole lot of sense to me that you're ticking those buckets and you're addressing all of those, I guess, weak links, you could call them. Um, yeah, that's that's what my conclusion would be. It just makes sense.
0: Definitely. So talking about uh, the literature and the science, um, something that is very hard to measure uh, in a uh, evidence report is the mindset side of things. And it's, yeah. it's hard to get a study on that, but it's such a big part. And everyone knows it's a big part. It's just, it's hard to measure. And I'm really fascinated that that um, O is optimism in the peace and love acronym um, because there is evidence that you know a positive mindset actually can be one of the biggest contributing factors, factors to uh, injury rehab. So I wanted to ask your thoughts on this and especially because I um, know that you recently attended the Tony Robbins uh, seminar. Those who don't know Tony Robbins, he's one of the most uh, powerful um, mindset, I guess leaders in the world and he's um courses are a big phenomenon worldwide Um, although you'd argue that they're not they're not as evidence-based they're probably more anecdotal based yet uh, produce some incredible results Uh, and I've also heard you on your podcast use the Roger Bannister analogy to talk about this which is just such a brilliant example he's first person to ever break the four minute mile which a lot of people around the world said wasn't you know humanly possible Our, our human body was not capable of actually doing it and now hundreds of athletes around the world have done it ever since then in the last 40 years so Uh, A lot of this points to the fact that our mindset has a lot to do with these things more than we can probably measure. So what's your thoughts on this, on the optimism side of things the mindset side of things. And based on everything that you read, you study the the Tony Robbins factor. What do you think about all this?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Where where do I start? (laughs) I think um, when you, when you're saying that the it's hard to study this particular topic, there are some studies out there that have a look at um, like risk of injury based on personality types Um, that, has been shown, and there are some really, really interesting findings. Um, mainly, the certain personalities that do get injured or are harder to recover from injury, and that's when we look at the Type A's. We look at the triathletes that are go-getters. They really are energetic. They they're self motivated. They they strive for a lot. They want to get results. Those sort of things, which is fine. That's why we exercise, and that's what motivates a lot of people. And that's what gets a lot of people really good results. Uh, but there can be some negative sides to that personality type as well perfectionism is a um is a component that um can be really good for people and not so good for another there was a um there was a study that put together they did a a few mental health outcomes for people and had a look at and then just followed them along. So they're not injured. They fill out this health questionnaire around mindset, around personality and all of stuff, and then they follow them along to see if they do develop an injury. And they broke off um, perfectionism into perfectionism strivings. So those who strive for high standards and that sort of thing, but then also had perfectionism concerns. So those who have um, a fear of, not being good enough and striving towards something like being quite concerned about their level of performance, but still striving for that performance. Um, so the negative side of things of perfectionism you c- could say, and those who rated really high and the perfectionism concerns were 17 times more likely to develop an injury mm. rather than being um, higher in all those other factors. So there, there is a definite link between them. And I do see the personality types that, do develop an injury and they return way too soon, way too eager because they get jitteriness. They get like, they need to get back into their running because it's their, it's their mental health side of things. That's like, it's their identity. They really want to get back into it and they, they come back too soon, too fast, too far. And cause that's all they know. And then the, the injury gets more severe develops and yeah, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's a mess. And so you have to really settle them down giving them another option to um, still stay active while this injury is being managed because they can't sit still. And they're, they're particularly tricky, especially if they're only runners um, because it's the only thing they know and they won't go on the bike and they won't go for a swim and they won't do some strength-based exercises. You're limiting a lot of your options in that way. Um, So there is a link between personality mindset, that kind of thing, but what I found doing the, this Tony Robbins event, so I did it with my brother and we were meant to go to Sydney to, to do it for four days. He's all, he's done, this was Unleash the power within. So it's a four day seminar. He's also um, done it a, a couple of years ago um, with some of my other family members. Uh, I didn't go that year, but wanted to go this year. They turned it into a virtual event um, due to the pandemic and we'll be going to Sydney to attend next year if it's if it's going, if we're still allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so it was really well-organised. Um, we were just in our living rooms 12 hours a day for four days straight, sometimes 13, 14 hours. It was really intense but really breaking down your limiting beliefs and help you strive to become a better person with your health, wealth, relationships, career, all this sort of stuff and um, really breaking down uh, and I really it made me apply this to a lot of the runners and a lot who I'm teaching and who I'm coaching and who I'm trying to um, help overcome certain injuries, chronic injuries, and really gets down to when I see a, a someone with a chronic injury, there's certain characteristics that, um, that I'm finding, especially those who've had injuries for three years, four years, five years and still dealing with this same injury. And they usually have a, uh, the common characteristic of like anxiety, depression, like fears, developed a lot of misconceptions along the along the way. They tell themselves certain things. Of um, they're living in the past of why they got injured, what they got told early in their injury, who they're blaming. They're blaming their physical therapist, physio, GP, surgeon for telling them the wrong things in the early days, and they're living in that space. And it's really hard to progress forward and have a real optimistic outlook when you keep um, referring back to all those traumatic kind of experiences and kind of living in that moment. I did have a lady who had um, three years of a tib post tendinopathy and in her early days, like a year of having that injury, she saw a surgeon and the surgeon told her that um, you can try all the rehab you want, but it's not going to get any better because tendons don't heal And you're going to, you can try everything you want, but you're going to come back to me and you're going to need surgery because tendons don't heal. We need to, the only way they can get better is with surgery, which is just makes my blood boil. It's just like Mm -hmm. the the worst advice you could ever give to anyone because it's not true. And, um, it's left them powerless and it's left them to how are they meant to go about trying the the right things when they believe that it's not going to do anything. Um, so that's when we have to practice a couple of things. We have to practice getting the right beliefs. We have to practice um, changing their mindset around gratitude, um, making sure that we're focusing on like the future rather than the past. Making sure we're focusing on the stuff that you do have rather than what you don't. Because a lot of them are like, I just want to run pain free. I just want to run pain free. How about being blessed that you can walk pain free? How about being blessed that you can get up out of bed and like you know start appreciating what you do have rather than what you don't have and just that mental mind switch can um, really start to create optimism, start create happiness and start create a a better outlook. And that just having that and implementing that can help the body regenerate and help the body heal itself. And it actually switches into like the physical components actually physically helps you heal rather. And all you've done is just switch your mindset. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty wild world, isn't it? Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Control the controllables is something that uh, we really push a lot. And, uh, you know, things that are out of your control, it's wasted energy. Um,
1: Yeah. How many people are, are, are like, really disappointed because the weather wasn't good on race day? And it's like, we can't control the weather. So let's focus on what we can control. Mm -hmm. You go, Jordan.
0: Oh, well, I was just going to say, I mean, it's, uh, what you're saying is so spot on and, uh, we just, a lot of the time we just don't think about it. You know, firstly, we're trying to get education. Like we said at the start of this podcast on the physical side of, uh, injuries, but you know, this mental side is, um, plays just as big a part yet. we, We don't really know how to measure it either, or we're not well educated on it, but all those factors you said can contribute such a difference. And, um, it's well worth thinking about, um, a couple of last questions to finish off. Uh, I wanted to kind of get a, um, Bit of broad advice from you when you think about runners or even you know triathletes that are running as well. What is what are some of the best ways or tips you could give them to prevent injuries long term?
1: Okay, um, first of all, when it comes to preventing injuries, it's recognizing what causes injuries rather than those all those misconceptions that we talked about. Um, I did write down a few, so like recognizing it is if anyone's listened to all of your episodes they should this should be shouldn't be new news but doing too much too soon just having really spikes in training load just recognizing that and having a real well designed program would significantly reduce your risk of injury because we know that the majority of injuries are due to training errors and they're due to spikes in load Um, the other thing that people don't really recognize is other acute changes it's not necessarily how far how fast uh, but it can be acute changes like say um, terrain like doing hills running up hills hills. downhills it could be acute changes in your footwear so going from like a really um, supportive shoe to something that's really light and flimsy and they're still doing the same mileage, the same speed. But if they had that rapid change, that's going to increase your risk of injury. Um, I had some guy who had um, hamstring issues for a really long time and he did, um, he's like, I still do high mileage on the bike and he loves riding, but he um, had his bike um, he had the the seat height changed or he had like the bike frame changed and then just went and did a hundred K ride because he's used to doing a hundred Ks, but he's gone straight from a change in posture, change in position to riding a hundred Ks and your body just didn't develop it. And so he developed a lot of hamstring issues after that. Um, so those acute changes um, still on the topic of injury prevention, um, personality, looking at like recognizing any training errors that you're caused that's due to your drive and your motivation and your heightened levels, like all that stuff we discussed before, if you're striving for perfection, if you have these really heightened um, or unrealistic expectations that you've set upon yourself, just self-reflect and kind of just be kind to yourself, kind of do that. I I notice it's probably the same with triathletes runners. They develop, they get this, they set themselves like a really high standard, a really high bar, really high, like, goal or race that they want to get to and then when they finally achieve it they don't really celebrate they just move on to the next thing they don't really um celebrate the small wins and celebrate um what they're putting themselves through and all the hard work they put in and um, they just move straight they might celebrate for half a day and then they're moving on to the next one they they're got another ticket to go to the marathon all that sort of stuff um, so be nice to yourself that's being optimistic is really good for injury prevention and then just recovery making sure you're prioritizing the sleep, the nutrition, making sure you're paying attention to stress levels. And if you do notice um, certain lifestyle changes, like if you've moved house, if you've had a baby, if you've like got a really stressful job promotion, if you are experiencing really like small windows of increased stress, decreased levels of sleep, don't do your high intensity sessions then. Don't do your high mileage weeks on those on those weeks. Wait till your body starts recovering. Wait till you're sleeping better. Wait till the stress levels come back down. Then start doing your high mileage um, exercising. You start your high intensity stuff where your body can start tolerating it. Um, so there come some of the things that we really need to recognize. We really need to self reflect on. And I like to say that they will significantly reduce your risk of injury. But we can't get that. We can't get that injury risk down to zero. It's it's a goal that everyone wants. Injury prevention is the goal, but we can't get all the way down to zero. We can make really, really smart steps in your training to get close to that zero, but we can't. We can't get to zero. Injuries are gonna happen. It's a way of life. If the real um, the real advice I like to give people is once injuries start developing, like we said, it's sometimes it's unavoidable, but when those symptoms start arising, it's knowing how to interpret those symptoms and it's knowing what to do from day one and the really right thing is day one day two day three really set you up well that would turn a one-week injury like it will become a one-week injury instead of a three-month injury and that's the real that's the real goal that's going to keep you moving forward and you just overcome that injury, just move on, continue with your training. Then something else might happen, might only be for two or three days. Then you move on, then you move on, then you move on. That's when you're going to see the real results in your in your races, in your race times, because you're continuously exercising instead of being held back four weeks, six weeks with an injury and then trying to get back into it again. And um, it's just building that momentum, which can be really, really powerful.
2: It's a vicious circle, isn't it? Uh, you, you get less injuries by maintaining consistency but you also risk the the injury by doing too much so uh, patience Mm -hmm. is a massive uh, factor in any good program and people who start with as you said the goal and expectation of achieving it in a minute compared to giving themselves time is a really massive thing people need to learn it's a bad less a hard lesson to learn patience is uh is something that's going to hold you in good stead and you've, you've really summarized those
1: it's a massive amount of uh, lots of things isn't it not just one thing um, yeah. but patience is a great word and yeah. when we're talking about personalities like if you've found someone that's highly competitive highly self-motivated highly driven hold themselves real high expectations you reckon they're going to have patience probably not <laughs> no
0: that, that's a great way to finish did you have any more questions you want to ask dad uh,
2: you pretty much summarized exactly what I was going to ask at the end there was you know what are the factors that you would be giving advice to for any you know budding new runner or marathon runner or or triathlete who's really aspiring to to develop their running without having you know the risk of injury um, you know derailing their their program which is which is what I said earlier you know half the battle is getting to the start line um, as healthy as you can so so would you would you summarise saying sometimes less is more, um, and you know it, it is more more important to do little. And you've talked about it, the mindset, just doing little things and celebrating. You know, I've had two weeks of of uh, consistent training rather than three fantastic sessions, but five days off because I was sore. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. What, what, what advice is that? What you sort of would would promote to. Yeah, every day, we, right?
1: we, we can end with a, with a couple of like really key messages and that being just that like we want to maintain consistency. We want to make sure that we're avoiding a high-intensity session that needs three days of recovery. We definitely want to make sure that your frequency is up and you're um, maintaining a really nice consistent um, training load. But also, which goes round to my philosophy of the podcast and my career is making sure you have the right advice, making sure you you train with um, increasing your level of intelligence around training smarter. If you have that, like if you address, you know what the misconceptions are, you know what's reality, you know why um, you've developed this injury, you know why um, certain things are limiting you from achieving that and then you're working on that and it's all science-based and it's all like really rational sort of stuff if you have that and you have, if you know how to train smart, you have a huge advantage against all your competitors, against all the other athletes there for compared to someone who has all these misguided, confused, like this puzzling sort of stuff of how do I increase my performance? How do I reduce my risk of injury? Um, Yeah. Consistency is a huge, huge thing, but it's also just having that intelligence. You have that. Once you, grasp a lot of these concepts you have that for life you have that for every race for every training preparation moving forward because this stuff doesn't change and if the the science tends to slowly um move towards something rather than another thing because we used to know we used to think stretching helped with decreasing our risk of injury and all that kind of stuff but once the evidence starts shifting towards something else, just being on top of it, listening to podcasts like you guys and listening to, to literature and listening to the right sort of thing and following the right people gives you a huge advantage in um, race preparations, reducing your risk of injury and having a really successful career. That's a great summary.
0: That's a really great way to finish. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Brody. We're really uh, pumped to have you on the podcast. You've been really informative. I'm sure we'll have you on again to discuss some more myths and misconceptions or specific injuries in-depth we'd really love to go through some i know you've got a lot of things that again make your blood boil that you'd like to uh, make clear with uh, runners out there Uh, just tell our
1: listeners about um, a bit about your podcast and where they can uh, best find you yeah so um, i always encourage people to go to the podcast first Uh, so it's the run smarter podcast you can just search and find wherever you listen to your podcast. Now um, I am active on Instagram. So the run smarter series is my handle. They are usually uh, where I produce the most content. Um, so I recommend you go there. Um, and if you just want to either join the Facebook group and reach out and if you have any questions, I'd be more than happy to, to do that. But um, yeah, I recommend going to the the podcast starting back at episode one and listening to the first 10 episodes. They're the 10 um, principles to overcome any injury, which I've, um, Uh, deliberately put as the very first 10 episodes that every runner needs to know. So um, have a listen to those and then start scrolling through any relevant uh, episodes that might appeal to you uh, is a really good first step. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out.
0: Awesome. Thanks very much, Brody. Really appreciate this. And thanks for everyone for listening. We'll see you next time.